So say you've started a business in a remote location and the business is doing well, but if you're like most entrepreneurs, you're not content to rest on your laurels. You're interested in growing your company further and one of your tactics is going to be using a remote workforce. On this episode, I'm talking with Meryl Johnston, who is the founder of Bean Ninjas. Bean Ninjas is a global outsourced bookkeeping business that just happens to be based here in Queensland, Australia. But we don't talk about the books. We cover remote teams, content marketing, course creating, and of course, service productization. Welcome to Fractal Marketing. My name's Jared Doyle, and this is the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to grow their company through smarter marketing. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with marketing tips, strategies, and insights to enable you to grow your business. You'll hear from fellow entrepreneurs who share their learnings and insights on how they're growing their business. You'll also hear from marketing professionals who'll give you easy-to-execute marketing advice. And of course, you'll also be hearing from me. You might be an accountant, a graphic designer, a recruiter, or a startup founder. But if you're the best-kept secret in your industry, then your business is just not going to grow. Let's get straight into the episode. So Meryl, welcome to the episode. Thanks. It's great to be here. So let's get straight into telling everybody what Bean Ninjas is, because I love the name. It sounds cool. It sounds sassy and fighty. So can you tell us how exciting Bean Ninjas really is? Well, it's funny when someone hears the name Bean Ninjas, sometimes they think, oh, you're a coffee-related business. I have to say, no, it's related to bean counting. So what we actually do is bookkeeping, financial reporting, and education for business owners who are running their businesses online. And the reason that we do that is to help them make better decisions based on data so that they can create more freedom in their lives. Right. And so Ninjas is kind of like... It's sort of sexying up and making more exciting what is. And I'll be honest about it. When I think about bookkeeping, it's kind of like yawn. like It's a bit dreary. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's a good play, I guess, on, on perceptions there, right? It, it reflects who we're trying to be as a brand and a business. I had a previous business that was called MCJ Consulting that was accounting consulting. And, that, and I, I learned a lot of lessons with that business. And part of it was that with the new bookkeeping productized service that we launched, I wanted it to feel like a new, modern, exciting business. And we wanted to run it like a startup, not a traditional accounting firm. And part of that was selecting the name. Although we, we didn't give ourselves long to pick the name. We wanted to get a .com domain because we wanted to expand globally. So that limited what we could, what names we could have. And then we just picked the name pretty quickly and then and got focused on uh, the other launch steps. So oh, there's two tangents I want to take there, but just the domain name. So I'm having a chat with a client at the moment and, and that's the exact topic. They sort of, they searched far and wide to pick a .com domain for their global expansion. And I, I don't really like the name, you know, they, it's a bit of a struggle. They've got one of those names where it's like, oh, it's two words mashed together and misspelt badly. And you kind of go, oh, well, this doesn't really pass the radio test, but being ninjas, yeah, it, it works. You know, you can get that. So. When you registered that, was that, you know, and you said global, is it sort of global from day one? Did you try to sort of throw out the fact that you're based in Queensland and just go, it doesn't matter where the clients are, I can work with them anywhere in the world? Was that a primary driver for picking that? It was. So we wanted to have the ability to work with anyone anywhere. And that was one of the reasons for picking bookkeeping rather than something tax related because tax accounting is country specific. There's different tax laws in different countries, whereas bookkeeping it's 80% the same regardless of what country you're in. And so that was one of the reasons we picked the service that, that we were selling. 
And then knowing that we wanted to have the ability to be global, that's why the dot-com was important. We didn't actually start selling internationally right away, but that was always in the back of our mind, as was starting as a remote team. So we were forced to start as a remote team because I'm based on the Gold Coast and my co-founder was in Sydney. So from day one, we were using all of the cloud infrastructure. We're having meetings online and we wanted to scale the team that way too so that we could be based anywhere in the world when we were running this business. Great. Well, I want to get into remote teams because I think that's it's such an it, – it's not new so much, but I think it's becoming more standardized. And we, we often aspire to have these, you know, work-life balances and get everything managed. And I think remote teams does a few things and allows us to access – arguably the best talent anywhere in the world, but I have to be close to them and it gives us a little bit of freedom. And it also removes that painful overhead of driving. And as somebody who I don't normally drive, I, I mostly work from home, but I just drove through the city of Brisbane and back to drop my kids off this morning. And I just reminded as I sat in traffic, how much I don't want to be in traffic. So, you know, can you, I'm going to try to think about which area to go into, but have you been remote from day one. So you've never had a, a formalized office and you've hired people from, I guess, all over the world. Is that right? We have hired people all over the world. I think we've got people in six countries at the moment and we've set up as a remote team, but along the way we realized that some people prefer to work from offices and I'm actually one of those people. So I'm actually in an office outside of my house at the moment, but I want to have the flexibility. So I can work from Bali for a couple of weeks or a month if I want to, but I, when I'm at home, I actually like coming to the office. I do have a home office as well, but I like that step of traveling to work. It's not a, not a big drive, but just going to work, getting into my, my work persona and then coming home. And we've got other team members that are like that too. So we actually have a small office in Novosad in Serbia and another one in Arizona, or Tucson, Arizona in the US. And same thing, the, these team members wanted to work from a location. And other team members, I think we've got a guy in Sydney works from Fishburners. So some of our team members choose to work from co-working spaces rather than from home, but it's really up to everyone. We've got the infrastructure where anyone can work from anywhere. And some of our team actually take advantage of that uh, we had a couple of team members meet in Bali last year. We, we had someone working from Raglan in New Zealand. So our team members actually take advantage of that and do go and base themselves in other cities or countries for parts of the year too. Yeah, I was listening to a TEDx talk from, I think it's the founder of WordPress, who was, I think they decided to be a remote first team. And he spoke in that talk about the idea of compensating people and sort of saying, well, we would be paying for office space. We would be paying for desks and computers. Mm -hmm. And so he gives people an allowance, which says to them, well, you work on this allowance. And if you want to go work at Fishburners, well, you know, your allowance can cover that. And, and he basically gives it to everyone to do what they more or less what they want to. And I think Google's applied similar kinds of things to some of the things. Is that, is that the approach you take? You say, well, look, if I had to put everyone in an office, it would cost money. So let me sort of, I guess, compensate them and let them, you know, like, for example, if someone came to you and said, I want to work from home, but I really want a standing desk, is that something that you kind of work into the way you compensate them? Yes, I haven't had that exact situation, but we do try and give everyone what they need. And I think as we become a bigger company, we'll be, be more standardized with something like the allowances. Whereas at the moment, it's just we want everyone to be productive and successful. And so we have conversations with everyone about, well, do you need another monitor? Or are you happy with working from home? Or do you want to, to us to pay for a co-working space? 
So it's a bit more individualized at the moment, but I can see that that's not scalable. As we grow beyond the team of 20 people, we probably need to start looking at things like that. Great. So when we talk about those first people, because it's a big jump, right? That first step, you know, moving from I'm a professional, I provide a service, moving into making that first hire. Who was that first hire? Was it somebody who supported the business? Was it a contractor, a freelancer? Was it someone you knew? What, what was the first jump? And, and then I guess subsequent to that, what was the kind of pain you had to take to take that first person on? Was it completely I mean, paid for out of what you would have been taking as income anyway? Yeah, so there's a couple of great parts to that question. And then there's some what I did and what I do differently next time too. <laughs> Love so, it. So when we started the business, bookkeeping is a skill set that accountants have. So I could do bookkeeping and my business partner is an accountant as well. So we could do bookkeeping, but we can earn a lot more doing accounting work. So at the beginning, we were doing the bookkeeping ourselves, but the intention was always to hire other people to do the work and create systems and processes and for us to be business owners rather than practitioners. And so our first hire was a bookkeeper, but we'd been, we actually did the bookkeeping for the first nine months. And so we were documenting all of the processes and creating the resources that someone, when we did hire someone, they could come in and really pick things up and, and do great work. And we both had other businesses, so we were just reinvesting all of the money back into being ninjas. And then as soon as we had enough money to hire, we hired a contractor just on a per-job basis at the beginning and then just gradually ramped it up from there. And our goal was always to be out of operations or, or the service delivery part of the business. And so we hired a couple of bookkeepers and then we hired a VA. And in hindsight, I probably would hire a VA much further down the track and hire the most senior people possible to help create the processes and take ownership of departments and hiring other people rather than getting the most junior person as the, or the cheapest person that you can as the first hire. I'd go for the best you can afford because that's, that was really instrumental for us further down the track in hiring great people who could actually recruit other people, build processes and, and own, take ownership of of an area rather than just taking ownership of particular tasks that are being allocated. Right. I mean, it it sort of makes sense, but it's one of those things that can be very hard to do in advance. So in retrospect, you go, oh, we wish I had hired that great person first because that would have made life easier. But when it comes to that point of hiring the first person, and like as I alluded to it before, you were doing the bookkeeping work, therefore you were taking that income in, which means you could draw it out. What was, did you set yourself a, a mental target to say, for example, I wanted to get 60% of a, of a bookkeeper covered and I'd be working 120% of a normal working day or whatever it was? Did you push yourself to go beyond the limit and then bring it back by hiring somebody or did you sort of hire in advance of that curve? Right. Your question makes sense. And so I think my situation was slightly different in that I had another business that was covering my living costs. So I was able to reinvest everything that we were earning in Beamages straight into systems, software and, and people. So we just had to wait till our revenue got high enough from bookkeeping income that we could, it was enough, chunky enough of a job that we could hire someone to do that. Whereas in my first business, that was what, what was paying my living costs. And so there was always that balancing act of, well, if I'm paying someone else, then that's money that's going out of my pocket. And, and what do I need to earn in order to cover my living costs? But the more I pay myself, the less I have to reinvest back into my business. And so that is a, it's a ongoing challenge that I think every startup founder will face. I've got a couple of things that I did with my first consulting business that helped with that. 
So one was I'm an accountant, so I had saved up 12 months worth of living costs before I started the business. And so that really helped take the pressure off. I also scaled back my expenses and tried to live really cheaply. I was lucky I didn't have kids at the time or a mortgage, whereas now I have both of those things. So, so it would be a lot. my living costs would be a lot higher if I was starting a business now. So that was something that definitely helped. And then having the, the end goal in mind, which for me was to, to build an asset, a business, rather than create a job for myself. And that makes those decisions around investing in systems and team easier to make because it's going to help you with your long-term goal, even if it creates cash flow pain at the moment. So, in, you know, that's the aspiration for a lot of consultants and professionals is to, to go beyond, like you said, getting yourself a job, like having a company that really is just a job and then moving into scaling that. I guess the big thing that drives that is finding new clients, new customers, and then retaining those customers. So when you started, how did you win those first customers? Was it just straight out hustle or did you sort of launch knowing that you had a couple in the bag to go? It was hustle. We'd we'd never actually had a bookkeeping business before. We followed Dan Norris, who's a, a guy from the Gold Coast. He's got a book called The Seven Day Startup. And so we followed that methodology and launched in a week and got our first customer in a week and really we got that customer from posting in a Facebook group about our story, that we were launching this new business. We'd created a website in a, in a day and we were just having a crack. And so people kind of liked the story behind that and that's how we got our first customer. And then it was hustle. I didn't have a big network on the Gold Coast. I was only new here. So it was I door knocked accounting firms, cold called. We tried flyers, reached out to friends and family, we really tried a lot of things and, and most of that wasn't successful. It was mainly my personal network and my co-founder's personal network that we really worked at. And it, was, it took a long time. It was nine months in, well, the first six months were very slow. I think our revenue was only at 3,000 MRR after the first six months, monthly, monthly recurring revenue. So it was very slow getting those first few customers. And one of our challenges was we're a financial services business. So people are sharing bank account details, staff details and financial information and a business that's two weeks old with no reputation it becomes more of a difficult sales conversation if someone doesn't know of you and you're asking them to share that information whereas over time we built that trust we built the reputation and so it became much easier and when we tried a lot of different marketing strategies along the way but those getting customers for the first six months was tough and it was a lot of hustle it was a lot of going to events, um, yeah, a lot of hard work for, for not that much success. And so if you're around 20 people now, you've obviously, you're in that next transition, which is hustle alone just won't cut it because you can't hustle enough new business and look after enough clients to support 20 headcount. So what are the kind of marketing systems that you've happened across and or invented, discovered, whatever it is that you found um, is starting to give you that scalability in terms of new business acquisition? So what we're doing now is quite different to the first couple of years. In the first couple of years, we had really no marketing budget, so I had to do it all myself. And in the early days, I was I started writing content. I learned a little bit about SEO, and we were really active in online communities. And I also 
spoke on a lot of podcasts in, in the early days. That was part of our strategy in year one and two, which was hard because no one knew of me and no one knew of Beamages. So it was pretty hard to pitch to, to get onto podcasts back then. Now we, we've scaled up and SEO. So when we find out where clients found us, we get quite a lot of for, through a Google search now. And when we focused on SEO and building out content that is targeted to the people that we're trying to attract, we are pretty active on social media. I'm active on LinkedIn and a number of other team members are. We're just about to start Google ads. We, we've not really had success with paid ads previously. I think it can be difficult to sell a service, especially something that requires a big switching cost. It's not easy to change bookkeepers. We've tested a little bit, but it didn't really work for us. Whereas now we have an online course. We've got two actually, teaching someone how to do their own bookkeeping in Xero. And then the second course is teaching business owners to know, to know their numbers and make better decisions. And so we're about to start running Google Ads and Facebook to the courses. Interesting. So a few people I've spoken to, I think maybe my last three interviews, people have either been creating courses or have created courses and been quite successful with them. I'm, do you see the courses being supplementary to what you do or do you see it as being part of a qualifying process or do you see it being part of like a way to almost earn revenue from your marketing? In other words, some people, lots of people sign up to the course and some of those people might become clients, but the course itself will help supplement that cost of acquisition. Or am I, or am I just making up things on the fly no, here with you? <laughs> no, they're, they're great questions. And I've considered those different things. And, and something we had to think about internally is, are we doing these courses as a revenue stream? Is it a different business unit? Are we creating courses to help sell or build relationships with customers who will buy our other products? Or is it something that we provide for free as a value add? And so we've decided that education is a key part of who we are, not just from a marketing perspective. Our, our marketing is very education-based, but actually as a business, we don't want to just do someone's books. We want to help them understand the, their finances and make great decisions and have great businesses. So it's at the core of what our business is about. And so we want education to be a different revenue stream and we're planning to build out a suite of training products. But the first two are related to finances because that, that's our area of expertise and it really helps either existing customers or, or some businesses that are too early stage. If they're, if they're a bit early to outsource bookkeeping, they still need to do it. And so it makes sense to actually learn how to do it yourself. And then when they're ready, then hopefully they've had a great experience and would think of us as the next logical step to, when it comes time to outsource. Yeah, I'll be interested to uh, to see your journey on that one because it's, it's I think, courses sometimes super appealing, like the idea of it. You kind of think, oh, that's it. And then everyone I've spoken to has said, I got into it and I kind of felt like I'd broken the first half of it fairly quickly. And then it was just a massive grind as you realize how much detail you need to put oh. in and work and effort. Absolutely. So it took me more than 12 months to actually create the course because it was just so hard to, to finish it while I was I'm the CEO of a business. I don't have a lot of time and to actually carve out that time to create original content and record it was, was hard. And so that content's been created. That happened in 2018 and the front of 2019. And eventually I just had to sit, hit a, or set a launch date. And so it launched in, in March of 2019, two weeks before my daughter was born. So there was a real deadline. <laughs> and and so the launch date meant that I had to finish it. And I've now run, about 30 people have gone through the program now, I have done during 2019. So, That's great. And are they from all over the world or? 
Uh, well, they're from America and Australia and the UK. So not everywhere, but, but they're the main markets that we're in with Apple Keeping. That makes sense. You mentioned zero there. Um, are you a zero first or a zero only bookkeeping service? We are. And that was the decision we made at the beginning of the business too, when we were thinking, how do we scale? And we wanted to be very simple with what we did and stay niche. And so that meant just picking zero to specialize in. So all of our team only have to focus on being experts in zero and, and staying up to date and doing the training there rather than four or five different accounting programs. And then the same with the industries that we work with. And we, we've tried to make decisions like that with with all of the business so that it's easy to systemize and scale. I mean, it's, it's tough because we would pro- we'd get referrals or new clients asking about QuickBooks bookkeeping every week. And we say no to that because that, moves that that shifts us in a direction that makes it more difficult to achieve our goals even though it's tempting when, when someone wants to pay you money yeah i i often wonder in my experience with, with on the marketing side of it by narrowing your focus into zero and saying look you know, we don't do quickbooks we don't do myob i think you know the marketing theory would say that actually helps you convert zero customers because it means that when someone comes in and says i'm on zero or i want to be on zero and you only work with zero, whether it's right or it's not, it means that you're a specialist. So you would like to think that, yes, you might have to turn away a handful of QuickBooks customers, but you'd like to think that what it does is it increases your conversion rate in on zero customers. Has that been yeah. your experience? I mean, you can't really measure it, but is that your gut feeling on how it works? It is. And I'll add something. We were really proud in 2019 Zero selected us as their Australian bookkeeping firm of the year. So out of all the bookkeeping hey. firms in Australia, we were number one. And, and I think, well done. Yeah, it would have been very difficult to do that if we were splitting our focus across multiple pieces of software. And so I think that the fact that we're specialised and then also we've won an award like that where it shows that we've really we've gone deep into learning that software and how we can deliver it well. I think that really helps with the conversations. I don't know for sure because you don't know who's turned off when, when they come to your website and they just never have a conversation with you. But that's my sense is that it feels like, oh, I'll go to Beanages if I want someone, I want to work with someone that understands zero and understands online businesses and some of the challenges around around that come with that, like selling in multiple currencies or using Stripe or selling on Shopify. They're the kinds of businesses that have different bookkeeping challenges that we understand. And so that's how we try and position ourselves. So, you know, you mentioned, so there's three massive companies and three massive platforms. So Stripe, Zero, and what was the other one? Shopify. Are you, or do you leverage those platforms, those networks? Is there synergies and partnerships and, and ways that you use them to grow your business? Or is it, or are they just a means to an end, like they just happen to be the, the platforms that the clients are using? We have a really strong partnership with Zero, and we try and do it with other other software platforms that we use too. But with Zero, we're off, we often we've worked on a number of pieces of content with them. I've spoken at their events, and is that they, ZeroCon? Yeah, so ZeroCon I spoke at last year, and they have roadshow events. So I'm speaking at uh, their roadshow in Brisbane next month, and and so that's how we we work together. They create opportunities for the partners to get up in front of small businesses and and other partners, and also things like content. I mean, it's really helpful if you've got a piece of content on a a really strong website like Zero pointing back to images, then from an SEO perspective, that's really valuable too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's as you said, you alluded to it at the beginning, you said, well, I've done a little bit of SEO, I understood it. Yeah, Zero is one of those 
huge authority domains, very specific to your industry. So giving that link back, it's a nice way of doing it. Do you think that's, I mean, a little bit of a deviation here, but I feel like that's something that Zero's done really well is to support their advocates and support their community. And I've seen, look, I think Shopify, we mentioned that, is playing in that space really well as well. Yeah. Like, you know, they're sponsoring podcasts, they're getting behind, mm-hmm. they've just opened up. I mean, they've had staff in Queensland for a while. They just opened up an office. So I think, you know, that's potentially another platform. You know, obviously the people listening to this are going to have different businesses, but these are, these are platforms that are looking for ways to grow their business. So there's synergistic a ways line. to partner. Yeah. I was in a mastermind with a guy who built a business based on, off the back of Shopify, similar to how we've built our business off the back of Zero. And I was looking at a graph with Shopify, their growth. It was in, ter- I can't remember if it was in terms of, it might have been in terms of the number of stores that are on there, and just it has something like eight hundred thousand. I'm getting my I'm getting my numbers wrong. It's it's far more than that. But the the growth of that platform is huge, and it's the same with zero. So if you're building a business that aligns with that, then you're probably going to get dragged along with that because there's increasing demand for support staff and experts that that know how to to use that technology and Shopify is actually another one that we're in the process of building a relationship with and and building relationships with Shopify partners too who have a similar audience and and client base to the e-commerce clients that we work with great and then once you've got someone's attention is it all content that you're creating that helps convert because as you said it's a trust-based thing. So someone's not going to sort of see you. Well, for example, you know, they're not likely to listen to you on this podcast and go, oh, Bean Ninjas, oh, let's, let's move everything across, right? So this is a considered process and, and it's considered even before they reach out to you. So is it, do you put all your effort into content to sort of massage and, and coax people through that, hey, I've heard of you through to actually I'd like to have a chat with you? That's a lot of it. So we, we have, I suppose, if we're looking at the funnel, we've got different types of content. So is someone kind of at the top of the funnel? Is it just general education about accounting that they need? Or is it more content around how do you actually hire a bookkeeper and what kind of things should you be, be discussing and, and what kind of uh, questions or obstacles would someone be facing at that point of the journey? And so we've got different content that's created that's targeted at that. And then our goal is also to create content and resources that are really useful. So someone wants to join our email list and then we have different nurture sequences through our email list depending on the different stages that that people are at in terms of their accounting journey or their, their buying journey with us. We've been tested. I'd say that we're doing content and SEO well, not so much the email marketing side of things. So that, that's something on our roadmap for 2020. To We're not... I guess we're good at the education side. We, we very rarely actually put, do a sales pitch, which is the point of, of having an email list. I mean, you don't want to overdo it, but we, we're not doing it really at all. So that's something we're looking at. Well, how can we better utilize our list? And then something that we've been experimenting with in 2019 was building a community. We haven't done that well, so we, we've paused that and we're rethinking how we do that for 2020. But that's our goal again is to all of the people that we interact with, whether it's on LinkedIn or, or other platforms who listen to our podcast or on our email list. Let's get everyone together into a community. We, we tried Facebook. We're probably going to move to Slack for 2020 and then build engagement that way and, and do a lot more. We do some webinars and we, we have done some, but we wanted to increase that in 2020 as well. So build relationships, not just with our customers, but, but others maybe a little earlier stage in our audience. 
You, you sort of preempted what I was going to ask you there around communities are great in principle. And then there's that debate about, well, what platform? Where do I control this? And and Facebook is the easy one because everyone's on it and Facebook gives you great controls. But you're in a B2B professional industry. It's Facebook just feels a bit like, well, I post pictures of my cat and my kids. And, you know, it, and people might have, you know, whatever, sporting teams, political. It's very different. I always think LinkedIn's a much better vehicle, but their, their groups are terrible like it just doesn't really work it's it's for whatever reason maybe they're going to fix it but i don't think it's fantastic i've implemented slack groups with for myself and i've done it with other with clients as well i've always found the problem with slack is i mean if you're a slack company and you're you're a remote company so i'm gonna guess that you've got slack and you've got everyone on slack but for people who don't use it then it's just it can be a fairly steep learning curve and so you know i found i had one group where we're working with health professionals and they just didn't really get it. They just didn't really join Slack. And so it didn't really work. So I guess it's going to be an interesting one for you to work out the platform um, to maintain that community. We've been discussing that internally and we were thinking about, well, who do we want in the community? And we also talked about the fact we had a little bit of feedback. We, we run our courses through Slack. There's a chat where people can ask questions. And so we'd had some feedback there that not everyone was familiar with Slack. And then we thought about our community and we thought, well, our ideal clients are people running remote businesses and who are building location-independent businesses and, and they're trying to scale. And so most, well, pretty much all of our clients do use Slack. So even though it is a roadblock, who are we trying to target with this community? Well, yes, they're remote businesses who would probably be using Slack. So we, that's why we've made that decision. But it's an important thing to think about, well, who's your audience and, and what's going to work for them? Yeah. I had that conversation yesterday with a client, uh, someone who works, they're looking to hire a, a content marketing person full-time for their job. And they said, should we post on LinkedIn? Should we post it on Seek? And I said, well, the thing is, there's way more people looking for jobs on Seek, but you're a B2B company. You want a social media content marketing person. If they're not on LinkedIn, that's probably a good, you know, that's like, it's a qualifier. If they're not on LinkedIn, it's not going to work. And I think the same for you. If they're not willing to adopt remote tools, then they're probably not going to work well with remote bookkeepers as well. So yeah, I like that approach. It makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to link back to, you mentioned there around masterminds. Are you, cause I mean, it's interesting. You could in theory run, well, a community can be a form of mastermind, but I'm thinking more for you. Did you, what kind of master, like, how did you find masterminds? Have you joined them? Have you got multiple? What have they done for you? All the things about masterminds, because they're, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So why did you join one and what are you getting out of a mastermind? So I've been in many different masterminds. Some have been paid, some have been community run. So just organized by the participants and had different benefits. The, the very first mastermind I was in was or accounting firm owners who wanted to think differently. And that's where I found my first co-founder was in that mastermind to, to, and we founded Beamages together. So, I mean, that was a huge benefit that, that we found yeah, each other. There we go. That. It's like the biggest <laughs> benefit, yeah. yeah. And then built enough trust through those regular calls that we felt like we'd be good business partners. Then I've been in different – I'm part of a, an online community. It's a paid group called Dynamite Circle, and they actually create – they match you up with people. So the next mastermind, there was a couple of failed attempts where we just didn't gel and then it never got off the ground. But then I was in another group for a couple of years and that's actually where the investor in Vintages was derived from. He, he heard about the, the journey, could see what our big goals were and, and could see that we needed, 
it was either going to take a long time to do it and the market the market might have changed by the time we achieved it or if we got some money now we could invest and, and then scale so that was a, another benefit but really just having a group of people who you're talking with regularly who understand the context of your business and, and you I think provide much better feedback and and you learn from the questions and discussion topics that they're asking to so I'm currently in two masterminds. I'm in a service businesses mastermind, and there we're talking about how we're scaling our service businesses. That's fortnightly. And I've been in a bookkeeping firm owners mastermind for about four years, and we talk less frequently, but we've done in-person retreats every year, and then that's more of a once a month, or it's probably down to every second month now. And that's an industry mastermind where it feels like we're not really competitors, but we can talk about things that are specific to our industry and challenges that we're facing and, and how we're addressing particular things. And do these mastermind groups refer to themselves as mastermind groups or sometimes is it more they've got other names and words that they use and we're just shoehorning them into a mastermind category here? The bookkeeping one, we call it Keepers Collective, but it started as a, it was called a mastermind. All of the free ones, like the ones that we've organized ourselves, we, we've always just called masterminds. Like the, the service business one is in our Slack group is literally called Service Biz Mastermind. <laughs> so pretty boring. Yeah. Uh, I suppose I've done paid coaching, which runs in a mastermind format too, where I've been, all of us have been paying the coach and then they're facilitating the mastermind on a particular topic. So they sometimes call it, they don't actually call it a mastermind, they call it something different. But yeah, same kind of thing. Great. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those ones where it's been a bit of a an interesting one. Some people have great experiences with those kind of groups. Other people don't. Is there a, I mean, just on that last question on that mastermind area, is there a particular feature or recurring theme or question or topic or, or action point that you find makes masterminds successful when you're part of them? I think you have to start off on the right tone and people need to, so you need to decide what it's all about and what are you committing to. So I don't want to be part of a mastermind where we turn up, people turn up late, sometimes they don't show up and we don't have a clear objective and agenda. That's just a waste of time. So I don't want to be part of something like that. So I want to be part of a high-performing mastermind that's got people that are committed, that are always showing up on time, always do their homework or their accountability items, and it's really motivating and, and insightful conversation. And for that to work, then you need to lay out those guidelines at the beginning and commit to what you want it to be. Even if it's a relaxed chat, then that's fine too, but you need to be clear about what it's all about. And so I think that's really important. And then if people aren't following those guidelines, then you need to be okay with having those difficult conversations to remove someone. It's a bit like your business. One person can bring down the culture. So if, if someone's not meeting whatever standards you set for the mastermind, then you need to think about, well, are you going to change the, the group structure or, or who's in that so that you can have this really perform, high-performing group? That's great. So just conscious of time, I'd love to ask you one last question. If you could go back to your self, your younger self, just as you were starting Bean Ninjas or maybe still deciding on the name of Bean Ninjas, if you could give yourself one bit of marketing advice that you know now that you wish you'd known back then, what would that marketing advice be? It would be to focus more on sales. So in our early days, it was direct sales that brought in customers. And I probably spent a bit too much time on brand building and content, which is a long-term strategy. And so I'm glad I did because all of that work that I put into content really helped but it didn't pay off until two or three years down the track. 
And really, we needed to be making sales. We needed to be making sales so that I could be full-time in the business and so could my business partner. And that was a struggle for us uh, to the point that we actually ended up not – he exited the, the business about 18 months in. So I would have been on the phone more and really focused on just trying to get to 20 or 50 customers as, as quickly as possible, so focusing on sales. And then I would have been a bit – in hindsight, I, I guess I'd never written content before. I didn't know anything about content marketing. So we didn't really have a strategy. We were just all over the place with what we were writing about, how it all fitted together. And so I would have worked with someone. It's easy to say. We, we started the business with $1,000, so we had zero budget for, for anything until we earned it. But in hindsight, I would have worked or got coaching or something, get some, got some advice from a, someone that knew about marketing strategy a little bit earlier. I wouldn't have paid them to do everything, but just to get us set up on the right track because it took us probably a year and a half to really figure that out and we probably wasted some of our efforts there, whereas if we'd been a bit more strategic about what is our objective, then maybe we would have accelerated our growth. I say that, but it probably took us the first year to get product market fit, where we were figuring out what are we selling, how much do we sell it for, who are we working with, who are our ideal customers. So I say that, but in the, in the reality of how it all works with a startup with no budget, there's a lot of learning to do. So it is hard to scale in the first couple of years, or it can be. I love that quote. I'm going to um, take that saving, that record, save that that we've just recorded because it's almost like you've pitched my business and my service. So I'm sitting here grinning away, just sort of thinking to myself, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, I should have been <laughs> thinking to myself, I should have come over as a marketer and helped with the positioning and the content marketing strategy at the beginning. But I think it's true of all professional services. In hindsight, you're looking, oh, that's where the value is. That's why I need to hire a professional yeah. to do things. And I think it's a, it's a blanket rule for everything. We Sometimes we just, we kid ourselves that we know so much. And in hindsight, you look back and go, gee, I really should have asked someone that had more than, you know, three days experience to give me some advice early on. And like you said, you know, you don't, don't outsource everything you do because, you know, you need to, as an owner, control that and own what you're going to produce, but get, get the advice, get the guidance, get the consulting. Cause that's the, that's the real value. So I love that because that's what I do. So <laughs> you've appealed to me there. So if people want to sort of, well, if people want to find Bean Ninjas, if they want to find some of this great content that you're producing, courses, podcasts, I know you've got a whole bunch of different stuff. Where's the best places online to, to find you in the business? The best place to connect with our content is at beanninjas.com. So that's B-E-A-N and then ninjas.com. And then I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me and that's with my name, Meryl Johnston, and I write a lot of content there and, and really engage in, in conversations there. And of course, you've got your great podcast as well. So we've got to plug that. We're on a podcast. You can just, whatever whatever you're listening to this on, I'm pretty sure Bean Ninjas is on the sec, exactly the same platform. So go down, hit the little magnifying glass, do a search, find it, listen to an episode and subscribe. And, and we're all winners then. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's just called The Bean Ninjas Podcast. I, I should have mentioned that. So thanks. No problem at all. Well, look, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the chat. You've reminded me that I need to start looking into masterminds. So you've given me my afternoon homework as well. So thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I have. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. 
Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.